This week on the Sound on Say Game of Thrones podcast, we're talking about The Watchers on the Wall, Season 4, Episode 9, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, and directed by Neil Marshall. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, TV editor of Sound On Sight, and I'm joined this week by the wonderful Mo Ryan from Huffington Post. Mo, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me back. Unfortunately, Ricky is unable to join us this week. There was a scheduling and technical snafu. And if you'd like to uh, to read more of Ricky's thoughts on the episode, of course, you can check out his review at Sound On Sight. And I, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed the, the episode, Ricky, and uh, I look forward to talking about it and I'm sure we will talk a little bit more about this episode next week uh, on the podcast as we also talk about the finale. But for now, let's let's dive in with the Watchers on the Wall. Of course, as we always say at the start of the podcast, there will be uh, there will be no spoilers. Anything we talk about will just be from the series until now, and uh, that's book or or TV. But there never fear, there will be nothing from ahead in the books. I've read the books, Mo. What about you? I have read the books. I've read the first three, and I purposely stopped after that because at that point, I think I knew that the series was going its development, and I just didn't want to, you know. Ha- one thing I've actually just liked the whole time is sort of like in my head, like if something that's in my head diverges from what's on the screen, like I think I kind of want them to be different things. So I've purposely not read beyond book three. And so ultimately I think I'll read or reread the whole series and then watch the whole show again when I have copious free time at some (laughs) undetermined point in the future. (laughs) And also people are lucky that I have a terrible memory. So Technically, something could happen in the season four finale that happened in the books, and I, I don't, I barely remember what happened yesterday, so I, I don't remember. <laughs> That's always very convenient, and there have been a few of those moments uh, this season where something has happened. I was like, wait, was that in the? And then it was, and I just have a terrible memory. Yeah, isn't that a good thing sometimes? <laughs> it's good. It can, it can be helpful, and uh, that exact uh, issue that you mentioned is something that I'm, we will talk about a little bit later in the podcast uh, when we get to a certain. Uh, emotional moment in, mm-hmm. in, in this episode. But before we get there, let's just start out with uh, the, the structure of this episode. Now, this is directed by Neil Marshall, who also, of course, directed the episode nine of season two, The Blackwater. And it, it's structured in much the same way, where it's one location for the entire episode, a epic battle. Mm-hmm. How successful was that approach for you in this episode? Was there enough story to, to make that work or did it just become action? Um, you know, it's funny cause I had just seen earlier that day, um, days of future past. And then I sat down to watch game of Thrones. And I'm like, okay, now is another, you know, long sequences of people trying to kill each other. So, um, so that was my Sunday. Uh, I think, you know, generally speaking, the action and the scale and the epicness of the show, um, is, is generally really pleasing. You know, Actually, during that sequence, or during this whole season, or actually the last couple of seasons, I've thought often about, uh, I don't know if we remember from season one, there was that uh, 
hand, the, the tournament of the hand where, you know, it's a big deal in the books. I, I mean, I don't, I feel okay saying that because I mean, obviously it's from like very early in book one. Um, so it's this big sort of to do where all these knights are going to joust and everyone comes together. And I just remember at that point I was writing weekly reviews of the shows. And I just had this whole section of like, that is so not epic. That was, it seemed like, you know, like 14 people were there, you know? And the thing is, I'm sure within the context of the show at that point, they were probably, it was one of their bigger set pieces, but it had just, the show was just starting out. It was like episode four or five. And it just looked really lame and pathetic and not well attended and not this kind of rich uh, tapestry, if you will, of, of people and crowds and epic scenery and that kind of stuff. So if you think about that in terms of where they've come, I mean, not just with the Battle of Blackwater, but just the settings that they're typically in are very unique or, you know, they're, they're, they're beautiful. There's something distinctive about them. The set decoration, I think, even since the first season has become a lot better. I actually used to call, I used to make fun of the interior sets of the Red Keep. I would call it um, medieval Mediterranean Marriott. And it just looks <laughs> somehow like not, it just looked a little cheesy a lot of the time. Like it was this sort of like mid price hotel in Italy or something. Um, so I think they've come a long way, a, a really long way in terms of the production values and the style. Uh, but I do think that, you know, it didn't have the import of the Battle of the Blackwater, or even if you want to go to season three, um, the Reigns of Castamere, because this, it was like an epic ninth episode without a whole bunch of a point to it, because this was just, you know, Mance Raider's first attack, you know, presumably of many. <laughs> and honestly, I just thought, okay, well, this is great, but thanks for reminding us, Jon Snow, that it didn't ultimately matter that much. <laughs> so, But as such, I mean, it was a great, great showcase, um, especially for, I'm going to forget his name, Samuel Tarley, the actor who plays him. He was excellent. He kind of found some new places to go in terms of asserting himself and, and finding out what kind of man he was. And I like the fact that they preceded it with a lot of character stuff, you know, Sam going to see um, Meister Eamon and, you know, these different conversations that happened and the camaraderie of the of the guys on the wall and everything. So, I, I mean, it was certainly a pleasing episode of television. I think it will go down as one of the bigger swashbuckling episodes. I don't know that it's one of the great episodes of Game of Thrones, and I, I don't know if you agree, but I think... There's always going to be this issue of, well, we didn't see a whole lot of Ygritte for a long time, so I guess I'm sad that she died, but she's, you know, this episodic nature of it where you might not see a certain character for two or three or even four episodes, it kind of makes it a little harder to, to dig in, although maybe in the future when people are just downloading them or watching them all at once, none of that will matter, I don't know. Well, and I, that is something that I was noting over the course of of the season again, being a book reader, knowing where they're going. Every time a grit would pop up for just a, a scene or two in, a, in an episode, I would take note of it and, and be very aware of what they had her doing. I liked that they did not pull any punches through the season with her. They have her just pretty much slaughtering children and and they, they make her hardcore, which right. I think is important. Um, but yes, that, that, you know, that, that central issue of it's an epic battle, and I think they use the space really well. There's a strong sense of geography. Right. There's a lot that this episode gets at very, does very well and gets absolutely right. 
but again, I remember when people were, were theorizing about what would the episode nine for book three be back mm-hmm. in season one because it's mm-hmm. pretty clear the red wedding has to be a big deal but then some people were talking about oh well you have to have the 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 battle at the wall needs to is such a big deal but for me reading the book even it was exciting it was invigorating it was a lot of really great action but it again like you said it's not the it's not a definitive moment in the way that something like Blackwater is, which turns the tide. Right, exactly. It changes a lot of people's fortunes, and it brings some people up, other people down. It sets other stories in motion. I don't really know what this sets in motion. I mean, this is, this is already in motion, you know? I mean, I guess I guess for four seasons, we've been waiting for um, the, the, the people beyond the wall and the wildlings to kind of come down and, and pour through the wall and, and unleash their army in a big way on the rest of Westeros. But so that's been kind of in motion forever. And this is finally the culmination of that or the start of that happening in earnest. Um, but yeah, I think I totally agree with you that it, the, the geography of that is really well portrayed. You kind of knew where things were happening. You knew who was doing what. Um, and the little, the, you know, some characters had these really nice grace notes, the guys, um, holding that second gate and, and that sort of stuff. I mean, that was really well handled, and the way that they chanted the Night's Watch oath, that was stirring and really exciting and very sad when, you know, they died. Uh, I wish I knew any of their names. <laughs> I don't. I'm not. This is my, again, this might be my memory issues, but, um, yeah, I mean, I that's, you know, the, the blessing and the curse of, of having a really epic story to tell is that you have a lot of threads to keep together and the, 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 the curse is that you don't get to dig in particularly deeply with anyone for that long. Although you do get an arc. I mean, Jon Snow, we've seen him ever since he's come back from Mance's army. He's, be, he's a different person. He's more assertive. He's less willing and likely to kind of just go along with the party line. And he's, uh, you know, a leader in his own right, certainly by the end of that battle. Um, but yeah, I mean, this for me, I don't know. It, it's funny because it just really reminded me of some scenes in Lord of the Rings. You know, obviously, I was like, oh, it's orcs. Orcs are invading now. So, um, so there was a lot of kind of. I've seen things like this. I mean, as, as I was saying, you know, if you go to see any superhero movie now, the last half hour is just people pounding the snot out of each other. Every every tentpole movie, I guess. So, so it, it the show acquitted itself well in terms of that arena but in a weird way i wonder if we're kind of reaching you know peak um you know epic battle fatigue in a way and not just television doesn't do it as often but in the film realm that's kind of now the given that any big film will end with like you know 75 people battling each other across this massive terrain and lots of explosions and and nobody will die though. In those and nobody ones. will die. The nobody hero won't die. die. He'll get the girl, you know, and, and then we'll set up the sequel. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this sets up the sequel, but the girl does die. Yeah, well, ta- she yeah. Let's don't even start me on that. But um, she uh, in this case, the girl did die. But I just think you know what's great about Game of Thrones is that it is able to pull off this stuff, and we kind of know to expect it. But if the other moments, the intimate character moments, are even the more uh, stationary character moments such as you know Tyrion in court and that kind of stuff if that stuff didn't dr- build on our four seasons of hanging out with these characters and caring about their lives really well I, I 
this stuff would kind of have less punch maybe, but I am willing to take, it's a, this is one of the dishes on the Game of Thrones buffet and I will happily have an hour of this where it is kind of a relief in a way, or just kind of nice that they're not trying to cover the waterfront and go to like five or six different places. You know, I might miss Arya or Daenerys or whoever for a week, but I think it really benefits the show to slow down and really just take the measure of one situation and, and explore it in depth. I think that's something that I hope they do like um, every season. They probably, they sort of have done it to a degree, a greater or lesser degree every season. And I think those episodes uh, concentrate things nicely. You know, you're able to kind of dig in more deeply. Well, and the other thing uh, that I appreciate about this episode is it's nice to have a win. Yeah. And we don't have many of those. <laughs> That's true. Show. That's true. So yes, Igrit dies and it's, it's very dramatic and it's very sad. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, that, her death scene, but, mm -hmm. but on the whole, yeah, Gilly's, Gilly's okay. I was very worried about her when they kept not cutting back. I was worried yes. she was going to have to, to take care of, take care of business there uh, with Yano Slint. If he, you know, was any problem. And, uh, and then, you know, Gilly's fine, and and of course Ghost is fine, and of course Sam is fine. We didn't really expect them to kill some of these main characters, but uh, but but still, just they win. They don't mm -hmm. breach the outer wall, the inner wall. I mean, mm -hmm. it's nice to have a win. It's nice to have a win, but I think Plan B of John going out into the uh, <laughs> yeah. beyond the wall to personally just assassinate Mance Raider. It is not, as he even acknowledged, a good plan. That is a terrible plan. <laughs> so <laughs> true. we'll see what happens. But um, it's weird to me that, I, I guess, I don't know, I've been reading this book about the history of the Civil War, Battle Cry of Freedom, and I just keep reading account after account of a general not pressing home in his advantage. And I just sit there and I wonder just why wouldn't, man I mean, there was there were many different turning points in the battles when it looked like, you know, it could go either way. And maybe for story purposes, they can't have um, Mance's army overrun Castle Black at this at this point. But it seemed like if he has a hundred thousand guys in reserve, and there's like not that there's like a tenth of that, less than a hundredth of that, then maybe he should have just unleashed hell. But you know, again, we'll see. <laughs> he may do that tomorrow. We'll see. And that's one of the things that. That that's one of the flaws I ha I found in this episode, and I have several nitpicks that I'm sure the listeners will love to tell me I'm an idiot <laughs> for having, but that that is one of them. The visual of of the forest on fire was striking and very effective, but if I wonder if you've read the books, if that meant anything besides ooh it looks cool, because the whole concept of that is. That is a very bold statement saying we are not going back. We have burned the land behind us. The only right. way we are going is forward over this wall. And so then to to have the characters, again, if they like you said, if they have a hundred thousand people. Are they just hanging out around the campfire, the most the giantest campfire that ever was? What are they yeah. doing? They got some marshmallows. They got <laughs> some very frozen chocolate. You know, they're having fun. But yeah, why wouldn't you just continue? There's no real reason for them not to just pour in in their legions. You know, it's yeah. it doesn't make any sense. If you have the overwhelming force and the enemy is vulnerable, as they were clearly here, they didn't, you know, they didn't lock or uh, seal up the, the, the tunnel. Um, 
if they had just kept sending people up and over the wall, I mean, that scythe was certainly terrifying, but once they saw its reach, they could go around a different way, you know, or just keep sending people through the tunnel. I mean, it, yeah, it just seems, again, this is one of those situations where as a viewer, I say, why didn't this happen or why did this happen? Because the writers needed for it to happen right now and right here. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Because uh, the episode's only 50 minutes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And that is something that will become more and more of an issue for the show. I'm certain as we move forward, there's only 50 minutes and they're getting more and more efficient with their storytelling. And they're telling, uh, they're really, I think they're succeeding at the way they're progressing all of these different stories around the, well, around Westeros and uh, with Daenerys and everything, you know, within that time frame and with that limit, within that limit of number of episodes mm -hmm. in the season and length of each episode. But this is this is season four. This is book three of a planned seven or eight book series. When we get tw to the end, how are they possibly going to make the the giant climax more epic than this when mm -hmm. they still only have fifty minutes? Right. Is that is that an inherent problem with epic storytelling at this level on television? I think. I mean, to me, I think that's that's an issue for them. Certainly, I mean, I think they keep raising the bar with the production values and whatnot, although, you know, we could go into at length the thematic stuff that they have issues with, with female characters and the whole, you know, the sexual assault thing. I feel like there's two different shows fighting to get out of Game of Thrones sometimes, that there's, um, like, let's just give them the popcorn, give them the exciting stuff, give them the crazy stuff, give them the shocking stuff, and that's fine up to a point, but I think there's also a really intelligent character-based drama, and I think sometimes those two things are in conflict and they don't really always resolve that very well um and so for me it's like i definitely want the um visual feast of the spectacles and the epics and the battles and the stuff like that i enjoy it when it's done well and it's generally done well here but for me it's like if it's not grounded in characters that i feel have an integrity to them an integrity to their motivations and their personalities and i'm not saying they always have to act the same way but that They've been built up in a particular way. They've acted in a way that I find credible. Um, they've surprised themselves and, you know, viewers, but they seem kind of inherently consistent. And so I think this show sometimes just has real issues in the character realm. You know, I just think that um, there's the inherent problem, first of all, of not being able to visit every character every episode, because obviously that's not practical. Like That's just an, a huge um, that would just make every episode really unwieldy and, and difficult and probably displeasing. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think they really do try hard and I think they succeed a lot of the time in making those character moments work. But other times I think it's, uh, it's expedient storytelling just to get to the next point or it's repetitive. I mean, some of the stuff with Jon Snow last year, with Corrin Halfhand just didn't, and even some of the stuff with Ygritte just felt repetitive. It didn't really feel like it, it went anywhere all that deep necessarily all the time. I mean, some of it worked, some of it didn't. So I guess what I hope for the future is that the show um, leans into the, uh, the characters and progressing uh, my willingness to watch them. Like, I don't need people to do nice things. I don't need them to be nice people. I want to just feel more and more compelled to follow where they go. And when I check out, it's just sometimes to do with um, some of the gender stuff, some of the stuff where it's like, you know, 
they're better about sex position. There's still a lot of situations where I feel like they're just using women's bodies as wallpaper, which I, you know, like I get that they're sexual people. I get that it's a sexual world. I think sometimes that stuff is just still not handled in a way that I would find, you know, equitable or, you know, or, or, uh, I, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it could just be, uh, my personal taste and I'm, I'm fine with people disagreeing with me, but I just think that sometimes, um, the character stuff or the, the lesser characters need work and I, they're not fully at the height of their powers yet, but I think there, there's certainly moments where the show is really moving on an emotional basis. And that's what I kind of always am hoping for. Well, and when you talk about the gender representations, mm-hmm. we don't have any sex position this week, but we do have a couple lines that, really irked me when we have that scene with Sam and and Gilly and once again we get that frustrating and frustratingly common trope of the girlfriend saying no abandon your duties and stand here and protect me because I'm a girl and I need Mm -hmm. this man to protect me and yes obviously she has a baby and she's not a fighter and she's just been traumatized with what went down in Molestown yeah yes I get all of that uh that, that all makes sense However, do we need to see that again? How how does she not understand what's going on? When right, she, you know, sees what's the scurry of activity at at uh, Castle Black, and then right. his response of "I'm a man, and this is what a man does" is like, oh, you wouldn't want a grit hearing you say that. Right, right. And why, you know, why couldn't they change things all the time from the books? Why can't there be a scene where? Um, someone comes down that passage and Jilly stabs them to death because she's protecting her baby, you know? And I mean, yeah. there's no, there's no reason. I mean, that this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like Jilly mainly functions as someone who is helping uh, Sam kind of actualize himself or get closer to his goals as a human being, you know, to find love, to find acceptance. She's really an adjunct to his journey. She's not, what, what does Jilly want for herself except to just, be alive, which like every character in every story wants that presumably. So that's kind of like a baseline that doesn't do a lot for me. And, and that's, you know, that's the issue that, you know, that I have with the show sometimes is like, I don't necessarily care that there people go to brothels and sleep with prostitutes of either gender, but when it's just predominantly women, we never know their name and there's constantly a parade of naked women whose names, desires, ideas, dialogue we don't know and i you know i think the thing is sometimes the show i think mistakes what makes a scene interesting and you know is with the infamous rape scene with jamie and cersei i think i think it's a common trope that i see in tv and it's really it's really upsetting to me that a show that's normally this skilled and this perceptive would would make which is like oh they're having really difficult angry hate sex nope no, that's not what that is, first of all. And if the fact that you don't know that is really distressing and the fact it, that, that I mean, that could be an interesting way for their relationship to play out, but that's not what happened. And I think there's just this weird, people have written many, many essays about this and I've, you know, linked to them or I'm sure you have as too. It's like, I just, there's a great essay this week. Um, I think it was on Jezebel maybe uh, that was about, um, how HBO in general has a kind of retrograde attitude towards sexual depiction. I mean, the thing is that I always try to say to people to get to get them to understand where I'm coming from. I am one of the world's biggest cheerleaders for the star show Spartacus. 
in which people were naked and had so many different kinds of sex that I basically lost count. So, like, I'm not against those things, but what was interesting about that show is that they showed that sex could be transactional and it could be emotional. And going in every sexual encounter, I usually knew what the transaction was about and what each person's emotions were about. So that, I think, is something that Game of Thrones doesn't really bother with, with female characters a fair amount of the time. And so that's all I'm saying. I'm saying depict all the sexuality and nudity that you want. But first of all, give us more naked dudes. There's a lot of hot guys on that show or, you know, show them <laughs> more. They're over to like seven layers of fur. Um, and just make it so that, you know, this is once again, even more so than Spartacus or many other shows of that. Oh, it's like, this is a show where people are, it's all about power transactions. And some of those power transactions are, you know, of the fleshly nature. So that's great. You know, don't definitely show that, but there's a rep repetition of a certain kind of thing. And to me, the, the, the biggest problem of the season was not just that, that Cersei Jamie scene happened and that it was so poorly handled, but in the very next episode, how did I not already know that the women at Craster's keep were being sexually exploited? Gee, I don't know. I don't know, maybe because I already knew that they're <laughs> that the patriarch there was raping them constantly and making forcing them to, you know, bear his children. I think I already knew that. So the fact that the lead guy in that scene, um, Bernd Gorman's character, is giving this hugely nasty um bad guy speech and is drinking out of a skull. I mean, that would have convinced me that these are bad dudes. I don't know that I needed to see like three or four women being raped or brutalized in the background. It just is like, why, why is that necessary to show right now? And again, have I ever known the name of any of those women except for Gilly? Well, and again, this is not specifically tied to the Watchers on the Wall. We will get back to some of the episode specifics in a little bit, gentle listeners. But another, uh, another similar issue I have with the representations on, on, on Game of Thrones is and we saw a little bit of this last week, the women, and again, I think this is also in the book somewhat, mm -hmm. the women on this show get their power either through killing people, mm -hmm. with like Daenerys and Arya, and so either through violence or through sex. Right. And those are the only routes to power or to self-actualization. And so when we have Sansa embracing more that... Uh, that that second path looking like she's going to try to play the game with mm -hmm. Peter and seduce him. And that's her becoming a strong, empowered person. Like the, the fact that we only see women take that route. There's no men trying to seduce their way into power. There's no, there's no men right. treating the game in that, in that manner. After a while, it's, it gets, it gets frustrating. Yeah. The only way you can have power without without becoming a sexual object to somebody in power is if you're Brienne or Arya and killing people or Arya and killing people. And you know, it's, it's, it gets, it gets, it gets frustrating. Yeah. I mean, the thing is I do, I take your point, but the thing, the thing that really, you know, if people think I'm ranting too much about the gender stuff. It's because honestly, I think the show does a, such a good job of de depicting difficult power dynamics in so many other respects that my, my expectations for it are pretty high. You know, I, I just really love, 
I mean, I totally take your point about those two paths. I'm going to have to think about that some more, like for the female characters. But I actually think that what the show is about so often is about outsiders of all different kinds. You know, you've got Tyrion, the imp. You've got Varys, the eunuch. Um, you've got Littlefinger, who never felt accepted and was kind of on the outs with the cool kids, so to speak. Um, you know, uh, Arya, obviously, Brienne. Everyone is an outsider in some way. Even you could say someone like Cersei, who you would think, oh, she's a really powerful woman. She's in the most powerful family in the whole, you know, whole land. At the same time, she's very clearly a pawn of her father and being used as an object in his, you know, chess game, you know, the game that he's playing. So... I really like the fact that they are very unflinching about depicting how different systems of keeping people down work, how people, it's kind of, to me, the show, a lot of it is like kind of an homage to the people who are smart enough and adaptive enough to think their way around others or who are passionate enough to gain power and do anything. And obviously what's, what's interesting is that they show the sacrifices that you have to make. You know, the Daenerys of season one, since then she's done a lot of terrible things and you could lay a lot of crimes at her doorstep. Um, you know, you, you can't necessarily say that she's like an enlightened benevolent ruler, but then again, can you be in the circumstances that she's found herself in? So I like that fact that, you know, there's a lot of gray areas in terms of how people who gain power or lose power are depicted. There's no like, oh, they're the bad guys, they're the villains. Everyone is a villain in some way. Everyone is kind of not a hero, but trying for something. You know, they've got some aspiration, and the show is pretty good about getting us to care about those aspirations. Even someone like um, Tywin Lannister, who you would think, you know, he's in the most uh, sort of solid power position of anybody. I even though, you know, you would think, OK, well, if he's kind of the, at the center of all of these oppressive um, stratagems, then I should hate him. But Charles Dance is so great that I'm I'm always he's so charismatic and so smart that I kind of want to see what he does next, too. So the show's really good at making me interested in all of those things. But I think you're right. You know, it just falls into some traps. Some of it is, I think, the pace of TV storytelling, the kind of stories they're trying to tell, getting from A to B. And I think some of it is just um, not as well thought out as it could be. And I think, you know, at the very least, um, probably the director should read the books. <laughs> that's just like, that's just a blanket thing that I think that they should, should do. Because um, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in the books. I, I like the books a lot, the ones that I've read. Um, but it's, I, I, I bet if you even ask George R. R. Martin, I bet he would even say that, oh, there are things in my books that can be improved upon. He's talked a lot about Osha, who I think we haven't seen in like seven years, it feels like. Um, you know, he likes the Osha from the TV show better than the Osha from the book, so he's changed some things. So I think they've made changes that have been really good and really smart and have really highlighted the themes that they want to bring forward. Um, but at the same time, um, some of these condensations and, and elidings and changes, I think, don't necessarily serve the characters. And I do agree with you. There's a, there's a repetitious quality to um, a situation where this kind of stuff isn't just happening on Game of Thrones. It's just happening on so many prestige dramas, these certain repetitive things that happen over and over again. And I just feel like 
maybe we're over, you and I, Kate, are like, we're <laughs> oversampling TV, so we get extra sick of it. So forgive us for that if we talk about it. But um, I think it's worth bringing up because these are ambitious shows. And I, I will forever be grateful to Game of Thrones because um, I think as with Battles- Battlestar took science fiction, outer space, you know, fighting robots and made, you know, made a serious, incisive, compelling, great show out of that. And, you know, lost that for a certain kind of, you know, sci-fi, trippy, dippy weirdness out of it. And so um, that, uh, Game of Thrones has done that for the fantasy realm. It's made a really serious show. So, you know, the, the issue that you have when you make a really serious, ambitious show is people going to take your ambition seriously. <laughs> so, so that's, it's all done from love, sort of, I think. Well, yeah, and we are both people who, who love a good uh, sword and sandals or oh, yeah. awesome badass dragon or look, it's a giant riding an awesome giant elephant. Let's talk <laughs> for a moment about how freaking awesome that was. Exactly, exactly. It's great to be able to take a show that, you know, revels in that mm-hmm. and then overanalyze the crap out of it. Look exactly. what I love to do. Absolutely. And the, like you said, the reason that we're hard on this show is because it can take it and because it can be wonderful at each right. of these different elements. And it's gotten better, honestly. I mean, I feel like the yeah. show, um, I, uh, David Bunnioff and, and Dan Weiss, who uh, are the basically the main writers, or not the only writers, but they're the main writers, and the producers and the kind of the showrunners, um, I don't. I never saw in print where they actually seriously addressed the sex position charge. They were always really flippant about it, which annoyed me, and I think is kind of demeaning. But they're smart guys, and they, I think they cut way back on the sex position. They didn't say it publicly, like, we're definitely going to cut back, but they did it. You know what I mean? So I don't know if um, that will happen with other elements of the show. I mean, the screw-up with Jamie Lannister is an epic fail for all of television history. They think that they showed him having a weird sexual, you know, consensual sexual encounter with his sister. And obviously it's super weird enough that they're brother and sister, but that's not what they showed. And the rest of the season acted like that's what happened because clearly the director and the producers did not understand what they had actually filmed and and made in that scene. So that's just a screw up. I mean, that can't be undone. I mean, you know, I think I can probably point to, Every one of the shows that I like a lot or love a lot and something that was a terrible, terrible mistake, you know, um, Lost had an episode towards the end, which I won't go into detail in case you haven't seen Lost, but um, it fell victim to the worst casting of an actress I love of all time. It was so terrible. The ideas underpinning it were terrible. Yeah. It was kind of like a big explainer to how it all began. And it was frankly a misogynist explanation <laughs> at its core. So that was just a huge failure there. Um, but you know what? It's like, am I still going to watch Game of Thrones? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's an ambitious show that is worth taking seriously and it's worth enjoying for the enjoyable parts. So I'm going to stick with it. I definitely think that episodes like um, the watchers on the wall. That's, that's certainly a reason for me to keep, keep watching. I mean, these are things that you don't normally see on TV. This is really high grade filmmaking, really. I mean, it's, and I think what I like about it is that, uh, one of the things I like about the show is that there's this level of detail 
to costumes, to settings, to all sorts of different production values, to, to angles, to the, like the, the way that things are laid out and generally how they're shot. They have a really um, generally excellent core of directors. So um, I can't not watch this show. It, it certainly encompasses a lot of the, the, the nerd stuff that I love, but it's also trying to say some interesting things about power and aspiration for power and what that does and doesn't do for individuals and, and even whole cultures. So I'm going to keep watching, but, you know, as ever, I hope that it takes on board some of the things that have been lobbed against it. And whether they say so publicly or not, you know, I hope they kind of continue to try to up their game. Well, let's talk about a couple more of, because this is my avenue to, to nitpick. Mm. Um, because uh, we the main the main problem I had with this episode there were there were two one was we already discussed it uh you know Sam having to be a man and the other was the the death of a grit and the way it is way the way it comes about basically the the twelve year old shoots her shoots one arrow and mm-hmm. aim, aims and hits perfectly then stands there to like flash the secret handshake Mm -hmm. so that john will feel you know guilty or oh the horror of children in war and then like just keep standing there and doesn't get hit by an arrow or attacked or anything there are moments in this show and i think this ties in with the discussion we've been having that feel lazy and unearned and this and that was one of them for me the the way that they chose to do that um, it was heavy-handed, and mm-hmm. again, this is a this is something we've seen so many times. It immediately made me think of the um, the two towers when they're getting ready for, te- for Helm's Deep, and we see the ch- base the children wearing the armor. Think of the children, Kate. Exactly, but think, think of, of the, the children. children. Yeah, I didn't even know that that was the kid from the village. Had not a clue. I guess I'm basically a dumb person. So now everyone who disagrees with me, who's listened this far, you can just discount me as a moron. But I had no idea that that was the kid from the village. No clue until I read some recaps the next day. Yeah. This is a show that, again, that I do a podcast about every week. I I really enjoy. I really respect for for what the many things it does right. But Mm -hmm. then it it takes a shortcut like that. Yeah. That feels very tired and, and, and frustrating. Um, were there, I, I didn't know if that bothered you anywhere near th- as much as it seems to have bothered me. I didn't realize how much it bothered me either until I started talking about it. <laughs> um, but did you have any other elements like that in this episode that sort of stood out? Um, I'm trying to think, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that, you know, beat for beat, I, nothing, it's not that anything as a whole, like jumped out as a moment like that for me. Um, but beat for beat, I've seen, you know, all the Lord of the Rings movies now probably like eight times. So it's just, it felt very much like that kind of battle or or the kind of battles I've seen in, in feature films. Um, and I think, you know, the Gilly stuff, again, I think the actors sold it, but I think I don't necessarily like the fact that she's just an appendage to Sam and has nothing really to offer as a character aside from that. So that's, you know, it is what it is. You know, I guess one thing that's bothered me about the season as a whole uh, is that the commander of the Night's Watch, oh gosh, now I'm going to space out on his name, Sir Sir Alistair Alistair Thorne. Yeah. Um, Alistair Thorne. 
he has just been a straw man villain all season long. And I guess the only thing that bugged me is like, oh, okay, you know, I kind of, he's not a terrible leader. He's actually fighting with his men. He's actually trying to do a good job here. Um, but to make John seem smarter all season long, they've just made him into this uh, jackass. Frankly, all of the leadership was kind of just jackass, jackass-ish, as happened with Slint. And so um, that feels, again, like that's a, store, a shortcut where it's like, well, okay, but I don't, I don't care about this guy. And suddenly, like 30 seconds before the battle, you, you know, he's actually turning out to be more nuanced than you had let on. So, <laughs> you know, I guess that that didn't quite work for me. That it wasn't quite a heel turn for the character, but it was, it just felt very like abruptly. Now care about Sir Alistair. Oh, okay. Well, he must be going to die then. <laughs> Although I don't think he did die. I think he's just injured somewhere. Injured. But yeah, that's how you know Pip's in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Gren's in trouble. Yep. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Whenever anybody had a great speech about how, you know, they were great friends or some the people gave each other a significant look, I was like, they're going to die for sure. Yeah, pretty much. Well, but I, again, this is a show with a very difficult task in front of it. Oh, for sure. Hundreds of, literally hundreds of characters. How do you make everybody care about enough of them that, that a giant fight like this can have effect without cutting some corners and i guess the for me the answer with with a character like alistair uh thorn is if you want to cut those corners earlier in the season go for it and and those scenes that we got with with john and the council not listening to him were the more effective ones we've gotten with him in quite a long time and made me like him a lot more Mm -hmm. but then when you get to hear this episode you have to adjust based Mm -hmm. on what's happened before don't and and not just pretend it, it hasn't happened right um one of the things that I'll say that I think this episode does really well is I really like the, 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 with the fight choreography, I think that they did really well with highlighting enough of the characters that we got to see different sides of the fight. We got to really like, like for example, Tormund giant Spain, his strengths as a fighter was really clear. And, and through, you got, we followed him very easily throughout all of this action that was going on, not only because of the actor being memorable, but also uh, because it was a very distinct style and it was staged in such a way that you couldn't help but watch mm-hmm. it. We got a different kind of fighting from Grit. She was able to hold back, and, and we got to see the the strengths of the, all these different fighters. Right. And they each got a moment. And, uh, thankfully, they didn't all die right after their moment, though some of them did. But they each got a moment to show another piece of the puzzle. And I think that really helps it all come together. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I, like, as I said earlier, um, I think that um, a lot of the different men of the night's watch, you know, we've seen from, for a long time. I mean, I love the moment when I think it was Gran at the top of the wall, when uh, John just walks off and says, you have the wall. And he's like, what just happened? (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty great. You know? So, um, I mean, they do their best, I think, to, to try to make these supporting characters have a little moment to shine. And so there were quite a few of those that I enjoyed a lot. And and just the sheer spectacle of, you know, the barrel not getting off the top of the wall and then it, it blows up and the, the scythe coming down. You know, there was just some some things that uh, they they just handled from a visual visual standpoint really well, though, you know, the the battle happened at nighttime, and I think that's for a very specific reason that uh, that you can do a lot more in terms of like trying to make the effects 
uh, on a budget than uh, I think at night is what I've always heard. So, um, but yeah, overall it had a rhythm. It had a pace to it. It was exciting. Um, it was a good showcase for uh, the actors who got a little bit of a moment to shine. But I'm kind of wondering where they go from here. You know, there's a lot to wrap up in that final se- final episode of the season, don't you think? Yeah, there really there really is. Um, that's where I want to go next. There, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you about, and that's obviously we've both read the books. We know how that death scene with Agrit initially played out. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on the changes they make with the dialogue. And ah. There will be no spoilers here, obviously, listeners. But in the in the book, while she's she she takes longer to die, and she sort of starts rambling, and you can read between the lines of what she's saying to figure out a, a few really significant plot details. Oh, instigating factors of everything we've been seeing, um, and they don't do that here. Interesting. I wonder if if that affects the weight of this moment or this mm. fight mm-hmm. since we ha- we aren't given you don't have that little nugget of information that theoretically John fi- dis- will figure out even though he's not maybe Sam he'll tell Sam and Sam will figure it out um but to tie it into the larger narrative right i Fortunately for me, I guess, or maybe unfortunately, I forgot anything that happened. But, you know, the show um, has a really, I think, uh, there's just a lot of challenges for the showrunners in terms of what to reveal when. And there's tons of controversy in that. uh, I I don't know if it's toward the end of the, maybe it's the season finale of season two. One of the season finales, anyway, when uh, Daenerys has a vision and she she sees Cal Drogo again, and um, there's all these different passages or th- things that she walks through. And there was, I feel like there was a lot of dismay at that point because certain things were left out of that. Um, they may just have a different time frame of revealing things, and I'm actually okay with that. I think I've been generally okay with them moving things up or moving them back. Um, that's never been an issue that I've had um in terms of, I mean, I, I definitely have had issues with how certain things played out as opposed to how they played out in the book. But in terms of, I, I generally take the, I, I, I generally believe that they're, if they're holding something back or not telling us something or not reinforcing something, it's for a reason that they want to have some kind of dramatic impact elsewhere or further down the line. So it didn't really bother me, although um, I don't know that I love that it was once again, you know, nothing Jon Snow. I mean, it's, I almost feel like that's a little bit played out, but maybe I'm just a terrible person and should burn in hell for thinking that. <laughs> well, I know some people were already getting tired of that a, a while back. I mean, it works for me, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if some people were, were less enamored of, of that line popping up back up there. The other thing that I thought of with that death scene was I immediately went to, of course, that moment in the, the Americans finale a moment that worked really well for me, but then had other people saying, okay, but this person is, is dying. Why are they spouting exposition? <laughs> when they were, they're bleeding out somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, maybe again, so maybe that was part of their motivation as well. And I get, let's, uh, let's move briefly to this, this next episode, because there's only one more episode this season. Traditionally episode tens have not been particularly uh, weighty. They mm-hmm. usually sort of dealt with the, the fallout, but, as you know, 
there's a lot yet to to come in <laughs> in the book three kind of sphere of things. Do you think that they are going to? Um, there's there's a lot of significant dramatic plot left turns that could happen next week or could be saved for season five. What are you anticipating? Um, again, I'll just reinforce that I have like almost zero memory, but I think, um, so if, if you're expect, I don't recall, (laughs) (laughs) which is good for me again. Um, I, I guess to me, I guess I just want to know obviously what's going to happen to Tyrion. Um, I want to check in with Arya. I would be nice to see where Sansa has ended up in terms of her new, the new leaf she's turned over. Um, obviously the, the Lannisters there, I think is a family or as an entity, they're an interesting position because they do seem to have this solid lock on power, but as events with Joffrey's death, you know, proved no one has a solid lock on anything ever. So, um, so I'm, I'm interested to see if Daenerys starts making any moves, you know, in, in her realm as well. So I feel like it's going to be around the horn episode where we're going to see a lot of people, set up some things for next season. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I don't know. This has been a really, is a season, this has been a mixed bag for me. I think they, um, they did a lot of things well. They moved the story along, generally speaking, in a, in a, in a great, in, in a, in a brisk manner, as you said, and kept me interested and had some really wonderful showcase scenes for some of my favorite cast members. Um, but again, it just, it has that gender thing that I think, you know, if that continues to be a problem going forward, that just holds the show back in so many ways. And I think you're right. Part of it is that the books, the material, um, the characters are kind of designed a certain way and that the world has a certain DNA to it. Um, that said, they've made a lot of smart changes and, um, I may be, I may be just, in, in wishful thinking territory here, but I would love to see between seasons them do a serious interview with someone about how that all that gender stuff has worked and the issues that people have with it and for them to take it on in a serious way, the producers. Truthfully, I don't think that'll happen, but, you know, in a weird way, that's what I'm hoping to see between seasons. But I think generally what we'll see is a lot of, you know, adulatory coverage. And again, the show is worth people caring about and liking. I'm, I'm not denigrating it as that. I just think um, the stories we tell on screens kind of tell us who we are. And that's why this show in particular is so um, compelling to me and so worth deep and serious contemplation because this is the flagship show of one of the flagship networks of TV. So if we're not taking this seriously, maybe critics are doing our jobs wrong. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that seems like a great note to to leave this discussion on. Um, yeah, there's. I would love to see that as well. Wow, uh, I would. I would really read that a lot and spin <laughs> that around. So, that would be wonderful. And if 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 a more serious contemplation and discussion from the you know not necessarily a public one, but between the the writers and producers and directors mm-hmm. of this show comes out of the utter bungling of that Jamie and Cersei scene, then it probably will have been worth it. If, if that forces them to reevaluate the way that they're approaching some of their characters and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the treatment of, of gender on the show as a whole, 
that would be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I don't know. That, I think that'll happen, but it would be great if it would. And let's, let's keep hope alive. Exactly. And you know what, honestly, if they don't want to, if they don't feel like doing that soul searching in public, that is their right. I just want to them to keep doing all the excellent, challenging, um, compelling, complicated, unanswerable stuff that they're doing. You know, I want them to do, keep doing that. But some of these shortcuts, some of these failings that we've talked about, we've now got four seasons under our belt. There are certain things that I would really like to see improve at this point, or it's going to start to affect how, you know, how I view the show going forward. But I'll probably keep still, you know, still keep watching. As long as they have giants uh, <laughs> riding elephants, I will be watching exactly. the show. Exactly. That's just, just going to happen. Well, Mo, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Um, you can go to HuffingtonPost.com slash TV. Uh, there's a button there that says Maureen Ryan. You can find my stuff there. You can just click on that at my Twitter. It's M-O-R-Y-A-N. And uh, I think I, I do have Tumblr and other stuff, but that's those are my main hangout spots. And I just want to thank everyone who listened this far and you, Kate, for, for listening to me ramble on about this stuff. I don't know if I was always coherent, but um, I definitely think it's a show that's, worth serious thought and it's sometimes incredibly done and you know if i hold it to a really high standard it's because it, it set that standard for itself i think yeah and uh i know that i i frustrate some of my wonderful friends with <laughs> my constant discussion of of gender representation so uh you're not alone in in thinking about all of this stuff and i'm sure many of our listeners feel the same way um, again, thank you, Mo, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Next week, we'll be talking about episode 10, the season finale of season four, The Children, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, directed by Alex Graves. Uh, I'm sure that one will be uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Ricky will be back next week for that. Uh, again, thank you, Mo. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. 